Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Are you ready for some football? Well, Walters is, and Walters has all of the games for you all weekend long. Reservations are limited and can be found on all Walters social media channels. Walk-ins will also be available, but will be on a first-come, first-serve basis. So don't get left out and make your reservation today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bass needs to throw a strike or the Nationals will be in front. He's got his sign, the 3-1 pitch. Outside ball four, and the Nationals are back in front. They've drawn yet another bases-loaded walk, their fifth in the last two games. Yadiel Hernandez scores. It's the Nationals four and Miami three. Facing Josh Bell, first pitch, driven to deep right field. Sanchez going back, looking up. It's going, going, and gone. Soon goes Bell. Home run number 27. Hits off the facing. Josh Bell with his third hit of the game. A single double and now a solo home run. Gets the Nationals back in front by two. It's Washington six, Miami four. Now the pitch. Swing and a belt to left center field. Way back. This ball is gone. Into the Marlins bullpen. Another opposite field. Two-run home run to left center field for Jesus Sanchez. And the Marlins have a big top half of the ninth. Four runs are home in the inning. And Miami has the lead, 8-6. to six. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, September 16th, 2021. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this episode. Tim Shovers working behind the scenes. We wish all of our Jewish brothers and sisters a safe fast on this Yom Kippur should you be engaging it in the fast. Well, the Nationals, in their very bad post-All-Star break portion of the season, have faced four really bad teams, as in four of the worst teams in the majors. The Orioles, the Chicago Cubs, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Miami Marlins. The Nats, in games against those teams since the All-Star break, now are just 7-11. and (laughs) And that just about sums up the Nats' 2021 season. Nats lost to the Marlins, 8-6 at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon to lose 2-3 or three in the series. We had an announced crowd of 16,309, and I emphasize the word announced because it looked like there were about 15 people in the ballpark, and it certainly sounded like there were about 15 people in the ballpark. That's now 60-86 and 86 on the season, 26 games below 500. The Nats have by far the worst run differential in the National League East at minus 79. And the Nats are last in the NL East, two full games behind 
the Marlins. Now, look, the truth is that the Nats are better off finishing last in the NL East than, say, fourth in the NL East. I mean, who cares if the Nats finish fourth as opposed to fifth in the NL East? The Nats, if they finish last in the NL East, will be better positioned in the 2022 MLB draft, even though we all get it. Draft position doesn't matter nearly as much in baseball as draft positioning matters in other sports. But it is something else. The extent to which the Nats have gotten humbled by really bad teams in this post-All-Star break portion of the season. And let's be truthful, right? The Nats themselves are a really bad team this season. I think there are things to like. There are things to be intrigued by. There are things to be excited about. But bottom line, this is not a good baseball team. And we're seeing that here as this season progresses. And certainly no unit on the Nats got humbled more on Wednesday afternoon than the bullpen. In fact, you could make the case that no unit on the Nats has been worse this season than the bullpen. The Marlins scored all eight of their runs from the sixth through the ninth innings. Five Nats relievers in this game combined to allow eight runs in four innings. Alberto Baldonado got us going. He gave up two runs in the top of the six on a one-out four-pitch walk of Brian De La Cruz, followed by a one-out game-tying two-run opposite field homer by Jesus Sanchez to left field on a 1-2 pitch to tie the game at two, the home run going a projected 401 feet per stat cast. Sam Clay in the Marlins' one-run seventh was charged with a run in a third of an inning as he faced three batters but got just one out. He gave up a leadoff single to the ex-Nat Sandy Leone, despite him having been down to the count of 1.12. And Clay gave up a one-out double to Jazz Chisholm. Mason Thompson allowed an inherited runner to score in that Marlins one-run seventh. Now, I didn't think that Mason really was that bad, and he came into the game in a tough spot. Came into the game, runners on second and third, one out, and the Nats nursing a 3-2 lead. Gave up a game-tying RBI infield single to the first batter he faced, Miguel Rojas, on a ball that deflected off Thompson. So, I mean, that wasn't like some, you know, laser into center field or anything like that. And Thompson did then induce an inning-ending 3-6-3 double play off the bat of Lewin Diaz, thanks to some terrific defensive work by Alcides Escobar. More on that in just a bit. Wander Suero in a Marlins one-run eighth faced four batters, but got just two outs. Suero gave up a home run on the first pitch that he threw, a first pitch leadoff homer by Brian De La Cruz to cut the Nats' lead to 5-4. Kyle Finnegan relieved Suero in that Marlins one-run eighth inning, struck out the ex-Nats Sandy Leone for the final out in that Marlins one-run eighth inning. You said, all right, this is going to be another one of these three-plus-out saves for Kyle Finnegan. We've seen a decent amount of him so far this season. Finnegan certainly has not been perfect, but he's been pretty good. He's been the best of the Nationals relievers, certainly since the late July sell-off. You say, all right, you know, we're off and running. Kyle Finnegan does a good job putting out the fire uh, in that eighth inning. Then came the ninth inning, in which Kyle Finnegan was a complete and utter mess. Kyle Finnegan ends up pitching a four-run Marlins ninth inning, all four runs off Finnegan. And it was really remarkable because Finnegan looked like he had it to end that top of the eighth inning. He looked like he was a pitcher who had anything but it in that top of the ninth inning. You know, we talk about relievers, right? Like some games they're on, some games they're off. In this outing, Finnegan went from being on to being off. Finnegan in that four-run Marlins ninth issued a leadoff five-pitch walk of Isan Diaz. Finnegan then gave up a first pitch infield single to Jazz Chisholm on a swinging bunt. Finnegan issued a wild pitch. Finnegan gave up an RBI single to Miguel Rojas to right field on a half swing. Finnegan gave up a one-out grounder by Brian De La Cruz for a force out with a run scoring on that play. Finnegan gave up a two-out first pitch, two-run opposite field homer to Jesus Sanchez to left field for an 8-6 Marlins lead 
the home run going up projected 401 feet per stat cast. And then Finnegan gave up a two-out double to Lewis Brinson. Davey Martinez kept Finnegan out there. I mean, Davey was like, Kyle, you're finishing this game come uh, heck or high water. Kyle Finnegan was the fifth Nationals reliever used in this game. Davey was not going to go to a sixth Nationals reliever. And honestly, I don't blame Davey. I mean, enough is enough with having all of these relievers pitching all of these games this season. Finnegan is supposed to be your ace reliever. He's supposed to be your best reliever. And he was bad on Wednesday afternoon. There are no two ways about it. The Nationals end up giving up the eight runs over the final four innings. The Nationals end up losing this game 8-6. Kyle Finnegan now on the season is 9 for 12 on saves. His ERA now is up to 315. His whip is up to 142. You know, we've had the conversation of, well, is Kyle Finnegan your closer of the future? You know, is he a legitimate, viable bullpen piece of the future? Here's the thing. I don't know that you can label anybody in this bullpen right now as a, you know, viable bullpen piece of the future. Now, you're going to have to use some of these guys moving forward. You're not going to have like wholesale change in your bullpen come next season. And so with that as the reality, Kyle Finnegan will be back with the Nationals next season and probably will have a significant role in that Nationals bullpen next season, barring, you know, the Nats just loading up on a bunch of relievers in free agency or trade this offseason. But I think what's fair to say about Kyle Finnegan is this. There is something to him. He does have talent. He can be effective. But he's not a true ace reliever. At least he hasn't pitched like one so far. I don't know that he really has the stuff of a true ace reliever. At times he looks like he does, but at times it looks like he doesn't. He's not a supremely high strikeout pitcher, which is like something you always want from your top back end of the bullpen guy. Finnegan averages a little more than a strikeout per inning, which is not bad, but for a reliever, you really want your strikeouts per nine innings to be in the double digits. Finnegan is not in that territory. And just the overall performance has been inconsistent. I mean, a 142 whip for an ace reliever isn't good enough. And while he's had outings in which he's done really well, he's also had some blow-up outings. And I think this was the uh, blowiest of the blow-up outings this season for Kyle Finnegan, giving up four runs in the top of the ninth inning to a Marlins team that's just not a very good hitting team. Now, are there some guys on the Marlins with talent? Yes. Jazz Chisholm has talent. Brian De La Cruz has talent. You know, uh, others are okay. Uh, so, and, and maybe some of these guys end up becoming really good hitters. But for now, this season, this is not a very good Marlins hitting team. And yet Kyle Finnegan got got in that top of the ninth inning on Wednesday afternoon. And, you know, it's interesting with the Nationals because I think by this point, everybody gets it. The pitching has been the biggest problem on the season, not the hitting, the pitching. But if I asked you, well, what's been the bigger issue, the Nationals starting pitching or the Nationals relief pitching? It really is six and one half dozen in the other. Okay. Like, I don't think there's really a wrong answer to that question, but it is worth noting the Nationals now have a relief pitching ERA on the season of 493 versus a starting pitching ERA on the season of 466. If you just go by ERA, the relief pitching has been worse than the starting pitching this season. Now, you can't just go by that because one of the big problems has been starters not lasting longer in games. That has taxed the bullpen. That's part of why that relief pitching ERA is as high as it is. But, you know, for years here, the Nationals have had a bullpen problem. And anyone who's been a Nationals fan for any length of time is aware of this. It's been like the Achilles heel of Mike Rizzo. He's had a really hard time putting together quality bullpens in off seasons. What's ironic about Mike is that he has a track record of like reshaping bullpens in season and actually, if not fixing bullpens, then patching them up enough to where they end up being halfway decent. We saw that in 2017. 
We saw that in 2019. Heck, one of the first things that Mike Rizzo did when he took over for Jim Bowden was rebuild the Nats bullpen in season. And the Nats ended up having like a halfway decent bullpen that season. But yeah, it's been a hard thing for the Nationals to do on a year-in, year-out basis. Have a good bullpen. It feels like every season the bullpen's a problem. And for all of the Nats' problems this season, don't lose sight of this. The bullpen, again, hasn't been very good. And truth be told, the bullpen was an issue even prior to the sell-off because Brad Hand was inconsistent. And Daniel Hudson, in part because of overusage, started to fade as his time with the Nats this season went on. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So, whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. Hey, Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Yordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. Now here's the wide and the 2-2. Swing and a miss, struck him out on a slider running in on Daylor Cruz. Josh Rogers starts out the game by striking out the side of the first inning. The shame of the Nats bullpen struggling on Wednesday afternoon was that another good start from Josh Rogers was wasted. Josh Rogers, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Maybe we have to rechristen Nationals Park Navy Yard as Mr. Rogers Neighborhood with how well Josh Rogers is doing these days. He's now been good 
in each of three starts for the Nationals. Rodgers in this 8-6 loss to the Marlins at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon. Five scoreless innings. And yes, the Marlins are not a very good hitting team, but uh, don't tell that to the Nets bullpen, you know? So if we're going to sit here and say, well, the the Marlins uh, were good enough to hit well against the Nationals relievers, well, then you have to say, give Rodgers at least some credit for tossing five scoreless innings. He had six strikeouts versus one walk. Did issue two hit five pitches. He allowed, though, just one hit. That's it. Josh Rogers tossed five shutout innings and gave up just one hit over the five shutout innings. And what's so funny about the one hit is the hit was authored by the Marlins starting pitcher, Trevor Rogers, as we had uh, Rogers versus Rogers in this game on Wednesday afternoon. But a one out single by Marlins starter Trevor Rogers in the top of the third, the only hit given up by Josh Rogers in this game. And then how about this? Josh Rogers as a batter in the bottom of the second worked a two-out, six-pitch walk off of the Marlins starter, Trevor Rogers. You know that meme or that may-may, if you're Bryce Harper, that's been out there for a while of uh, Spider-Man versus Spider-Man? That's kind of what you had on Wednesday afternoon. Josh Rogers versus Trevor Rogers. Rogers works a walk off Trevor in the bottom of the second, and then Trevor gets a hit off Josh in the top of the third. You can't make this stuff up, and yet that's exactly what was on display at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon. But Josh Rogers did well. He struck out the side in a perfect top of the first inning. And all things considered, given who he is, given his background, that he's doing as he has done for the Nationals, this is another guy who falls into that category of a 30-something who really has no business being at the major league level this season and yet is doing quite well for the Nationals. Whether we're talking Paolo Espino or we're talking Sean Nolan or we're talking Alcides Escobar, or we're talking Yadiel Hernandez. You know, you could perhaps put him into that conversation. Josh Rogers now is a part of that conversation. Rogers now has made three starts for the Nats. He had a 4-3 seven-inning win over the New York Mets in Nationals Park on September 4th in Game 2 of a doubleheader, allowed three runs in five and two-thirds innings. But the final line in that game was not indicative of how well Rogers pitched in that game. Rogers pitched in that 4-3 walk-off loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates last Friday night, two runs in six and two-thirds innings in that game. Josh Rogers had not pitched in a major league regular season game since 2019 when he was with the Orioles. The O's got Rogers from the New York Yankees in July 2018 in the Zach Britton trade. Rogers was taken by the Yankees in the 11th round of the 2015 MLB draft out of Louisville. And I was thinking about this, you know, there is a history of prominent D.C. sports figures who were products of the University of Louisville. Joe Jacoby, a product of the U of L. Wes Unseld, a product of the U of L. Purvis Ellison, a product of the U of L. Never Nervous Purvis, one of the great nicknames in D.C. sports history. Jay Gruden was a product of the U of L. So, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little liberal with uh, my usage of the word prominent in prominent D.C. sports figures, but who, know, who the heck knows? Maybe Josh Rogers is joining that list. But I think, you know, more to the point, Josh Rogers is doing a nice job. And maybe all of this means nothing. You know, it's hard to know with any kind of certainty, these surprising performers for the Nationals this season, what it means. But I give Josh Rogers a lot of credit. This is his age 26 season. So he's not a 30-something along the lines of some of the other people I just listed. But he's not someone, like I said, who really is supposed to be doing this, right? I mean, he was never supposed to be a part of the Nationals rotation this year. But he's done a nice job. And I give him credit. And he looks sharp on Wednesday afternoon. As for the Nats offense in their 8-6 loss to the Marlins 
at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon. Well, the offense was good again. This continues this run here. I mean, save for what happened in game one of this series in which Sandy Alcantara nearly no hit the Nationals. The Nats offense has been very consistent for weeks now. And game in, game out, you can count on the Nationals to hit and to score, if not enough runs to win, then certainly enough runs to be competitive. Now, you don't always get the run production early in games. A lot of times the run scoring comes later in games. But at the ends of these games, we always kind of find ourselves saying the same thing, which is, yeah, the Nationals offense did a good job. And the Nationals offense did a good job again on Wednesday afternoon. Six runs on 15 hits and five walks. Now, the nit to pick is that the Nats went just 3-16 of 16 with runners in scoring position. But, you know, the blame for this loss goes on the bullpen, not on the batters. I mean, if you want to get worked up about the lack of quote-unquote clutch hitting, you know, knock yourself out. But six runs, 15 hits, five walks, that's good enough to win. You know, the problem wasn't the hitting. The problem was the bullpen. With the offense, how about the game by Alcides Escobar? on Wednesday afternoon. You know, speaking of guys who aren't supposed to be producing and yet have produced for the Nationals, all CDs on Wednesday, four for six with four singles, including an RBI single, and he had a standout defensive play. Here's the pitch. Swinging a ground ball to first. Bell has it. He throws to second wide. Escobar a sliding stop on the bag to get the out. Throws back to first for a miraculous double play. Escobar in the bottom of the first, a single on a one-two pitch on a slow roller that spun away from Marlins third baseman, Isan Diaz. That's when you know things are going your way, when you get a hit like that. And, you know, that's another one of those classic Alcides Escobar hits. He's down in the count, one-two. He takes a one-two pitch. He barely makes contact, but he makes contact. He ends up getting a favorable spin, and he ends up getting on first base with a single. Escobar, bottom of the third, leadoff opposite field single to right field. Escobar in the Nats, one run six, a first pitch bunt single. What a great bunt that was by Alcides. Escobar in the Nats two-run seventh, a two-out bases loaded opposite field RBI single to right field for a 5-3 Nats lead. And with that defensive play, Alcides Escobar in the Marlins one-run seventh on that inning-ending 3-6-3 double play made a great sliding catch of an errant throw by Josh Bell for the force out at second base and then threw the ball back to Bell at first base to complete the double play. Alcides had to slide to make the catch. And then while getting up from the slide and essentially like leaning on a knee, makes the throw to Bell at first base to complete that 3-6-3 double play. What a smooth play by Alcides Escobar. What an athletic play by Alcides Escobar. What a heads-up play by Alcides Escobar. So great game for Alcides. Four hits, the good defensive work. Alcides Escobar now for the Nationals over 271 Major League Plate appearances this season. Batting average at 278. On base percentage of 327, slugging percentage of 379. The numbers don't blow you away. That is true. But given where this guy was, the numbers are very surprising and are surprising in a very pleasant way. Remember, Alcides Escobar had not played in a major league game since the 2018 regular season. 2019 regular season, no Alcides at the major league level. 2020 season, no Alcides at the major league level. The Nationals get him out of desperation this past July 3rd, acquire Alcides Escobar from the Kansas City Royals for cash considerations. This season is Escobar's age 34 season. He, in that 2018 regular season, by the way, had a wins above replacement per baseball reference of minus 2.2, okay? I mean, that's like Chris Davis territory, minus 2.2 B-War. And yet Alcides is with the Nationals this year, 
He's been their everyday shortstop. He's become a fixture in the number two spot in Davey Martinez's batting order. And as much as someone like myself likes to say things like, hey, this guy's, you know, he's, he's not really a piece for the future. Why is he still batting second? You can't get him out of there because he keeps getting on base and he keeps making contact and he keeps producing. I give the guy all the credit in the world. He plays a good shortstop. And while I'm not sure that you say, well, Alcides Escobar is your everyday shortstop for next season, what I think you can say is Alcides Escobar being back with the Nats next season makes some sense. You know, and at the very least, have him as a piece, have him as a middle infield option for next season, depending on whatever else you end up doing this offseason. But all praise to Alcides Escobar. Juan Soto had another good game on Wednesday, another game in which he gets on base multiple times, two for four with two singles and an RBI sack fly. Soto in the bottom of the third, a first pitch opposite field single to left field. Soto in the Nats one run fifth, a leadoff single to right field. Soto in the bottom of the sixth, a tie-breaking RBI sack fly on a 1-2 pitch for a 3-2 Nats lead. Juan Soto in the series, five for 11 with five singles and a walk. No, he did not hit for power in the series, but geez, was he on base a bunch over the final two games of the series. Juan Soto now, his major league leading on base percentage at 457. And as Juan Soto has forced his way into the conversation when it comes to the National League Batting Championship, he's got that batting average up to 314. Josh Bell had another good game for the Nationals. Bell three for five with a solo homer, a double, and a single. Bell in the bottom of the first, a two-out opposite field single to right field, despite having been down to the count of 1.12. Bell in the Nats one run fifth, a ground rule double to center field on an 0-2 pitch. Now, there was some luck here. There was some good fortune here because this was essentially a fly ball that was not caught by the Marlins center fielder, Lewis Brinson, due to the Sun Monster, which likes to make an appearance this time of year at Nationals Park during day games. So yeah, you know, a little bit of good luck for Josh Bell, but whatever. I mean, it's not like he barely hit the baseball. He made good contact with the baseball, uh, and the sun aided the cause. Swing a fly ball, deep center field. Brinson going back, shading his eyes with his glove, and can't make the play. It bounces past him onto the warning track and goes over the center field fence. And then Josh Bell delivered his biggest blow of the game. Bottom of the eighth, a first pitch leadoff homer that went off the facade of the second deck in right field for a 6-4 Nats lead. The home run going a projected 409 feet for StatCast. Josh Bell now, a team leading 27 home runs on the season, and he's got his OPS for the season up to 822. Remember, we remarked not that long ago about Josh Bell finally crossing the 800 OPS plateau. He's now 22 points above that at 822. It's awesome to see Josh Bell getting those overall season numbers this high at this point, right? Because it's taken a while. It was quite the climb he had to make off that atrocious April, but he's made the climb. He's been a good hitter for the Nationals basically since the start of May, and he's really in a good place right now. He's confident. He's making contact. His plate selection has been supreme, and he's hitting for power. Again, team leading 27 home runs on the season. That homer felt like that was going to end up being the insurance run that made things nice and comfy come the ninth inning. Little did we know. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. 
Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers, is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. So with two outs, you need a hit from Lane Thomas. The first pitch from the lefty is lined up the middle, base hit center field, Nationals take the lead. Trevor Rogers ends up in the dirt on the pitching mound as Lane Thomas hit a bullet right back over the mound. And the Nationals on the board lead one to nothing. Lane Thomas had another good game for the Nationals. You cannot stop the Lane train these days. Lane Thomas gets on base three times on Wednesday, two for five with a double and RBI single and an RBI walk. Thomas bottom of the fourth, two out first pitch, RBI single to center field for a 1-0 Nats lead. Thomas in the Nats, one run six, a leadoff double down the left field line. And Thomas in the Nats, two run seventh, a two-out bases loaded walk for a 4-3 Nats lead. It felt like in this series, the Nationals worked about 17 bases loaded walks. I know the number isn't that high, but man, the Marlins relief pitching in this series was nothing to write home about. And a lot of walks were worked by the Nats and a good number of bases loaded walks were worked by the Nats in this series. Thomas had one of them on Wednesday afternoon. Lane Thomas now 126 Major League Plate appearances for the Nats. Batting average of 306 on base percentage 397. Slugging percentage of 528. At some point, we're going to call it, and Lane Thomas is going to be the everyday center fielder and number one batter for the Nationals next season. We are inching ever so closer to that moment. I mean, the moment is different for everyone, right? It's kind of a subjective thing, but it just is remarkable to me the consistency with which Lane Thomas has produced for the Nats since he got called up to the major league level. Riley Adams, another guy who the Nationals got in the late July sell-off. He was the Nats starting catcher on Wednesday afternoon, and he got on base a few times. 0 for 3, but he drew two walks, including, guess what? A bases loaded walk. Riley Adams in the bottom of the fifth, a two-out full count, bases loaded walk for a 2-0 Nats lead, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. And Adams in the Nats two-run seventh, a two-out seven-pitch walk, despite him having been down to the count at 1.12. We have not been seeing much of Riley Adams lately because of K. Bert Ruiz, but Riley Adams, when called upon, does continue to hit and does continue to get on base. He has now 79 major league plate appearances with the Nats. Adams has a batting average of 292, an on-base percentage of 418, and a slugging percentage of 508. So Lane Thomas acquired for John Lester, Riley Adams acquired for Brad Hand. Each has been productive and, you know, for weeks now at the major league level here for the Nationals. Speaking of productive, how about Jordy Mercer on Wednesday afternoon? Jordy Mercer was the Nats starting second baseman, and old Jordy, Fresh off the Nats 10-day injured list, the Nats uh, finally reinstated Mercer from the 10-day IL on Monday. Mercer, two for four with a double, a single, and a walk. And he looked good batting. These weren't like cheapy. Well, the double certainly wasn't cheapy. The single maybe kind of was. But Mercer in the Nats one run fourth, a leadoff double to left field. Good piece of hitting there. Mercer in the Nats one run fifth, a two-out five-pitch walk. And then Mercer bottom of the eighth, a two-out infield single on which he advanced to second 
on a throwing error. But, you know, Jordy Mercer, like, disappeared for months. He had been on that 10-day injured list since July 24th, retroactive to July 21st with a left calf strain. Finally gets activated on Monday. He has been used as a pinch hitter, and then he finally starts a game here for the first time in forever on Wednesday, and he has a double, a single, and a walk. So good job there by Jordy Mercer. No game for the Nats on Thursday. They have a three-game series against the Colorado Rockies at Nationals Park this weekend. Game one Friday night at 7.05. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. That is a big outing for Josiah. He has got to put out the fire here. That is this rut that he's in of three consecutive bad starts. Very anxious to see Josiah pitch, hoping like heck he pitches well on Friday night. Game two Saturday at 4.05, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game three Sunday afternoon at 105, Paolo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. You tell us what you think. You can always tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can always email us to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the podcast, please consider subscribing. Doing so costs you nothing. We'll ensure that every episode of the Nats Chat Podcast is uh, right there waiting for you when you wake up each morning after a Nationals game. Uh, Also, if you haven't yet given the podcast a five-star rating and written like a one or two-sentence review saying how much you like the podcast, please consider doing that. Again, doesn't cost you anything. Does help out the cause. That is the Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square. Dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chatter, courtesy of 1067 The Fan. I'm Al Galdi. I'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. If you're a Washington football team fan, big game Thursday night against the New York Giants at FedEx Field. I'll be post-gaming whatever happens at FedEx on Thursday night on my podcast, the Al Galdi Podcast on Friday show. Uh, that'll be out uh, bright and early Friday, shortly before 5 a.m. So we've been welcoming World Series memories from a lot of you guys. We've had a lot of fun with those. We thank everyone who has contributed to those. Mark and I had the chance to chat with Jeremy Gifford, the owner of Walters, one of the great sponsors of the Nats Chat Podcast. We're going to play that conversation for you right now because, Jeremy, you can only imagine, right, what Walters was like. And many of you probably experienced what Walters was like in October 2019. But some great stuff, some fun memories from Jeremy. And so we give you that conversation right now. From the depths of a forgettable 19-31 start, they have climbed to the top of baseball's highest peak, giving us all a finish to a season we will remember for the rest of our lives. The Nationals celebrate just behind the pitcher's mound. A world championship. Curly W is in the books. All right, so we've had a lot of fun these last few months taking your tales of October 2019. The stories have been really impressive. Uh, Some have been funny. Some have been emotional in terms of uh, what everyone went through, how everyone experienced the Nationals' incredible run to that 2019 World Series title. If you are a regular listener to the Nats Chat Podcast, you likely are familiar with one of the great sponsors of the Nats Chat Podcast, Walters. Uh, Walters is a must-go-to spot right near Nationals Park, adjacent to Nationals Park at the intersection of South Capitol and uh, North Street Southeast. It is the neighborhood sports bar for Navy Yard, and we are thrilled to be joined right now by Jeremy Gifford, the owner of Walters. Uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for your support. It's great to have you on the podcast, and I can only imagine what October 2019 was like for you. Uh, Yeah, I can sum it up in the truest sense of the word awesome. Uh, so standing at the base of the Rockies and looking up and just seeing how majestic and amazing something is, is the feeling that we kind of had going through it. I don't think 
any restaurateurs are prepared for a championship run that sort of magnitude. And, uh, you know, we had opened in May of that year and really struggled all summer long to kind of introduce ourselves to people coming to the yard, um, introduce ourselves to the neighborhood. You know, everybody kind of has their spot they want to go to before and after the game. And so it takes a while to kind of slowly start to develop your crowd. We created a eighth inning painkiller because the ninth inning was just so painful to start of the year. Uh, Scherzer took one off the face. We took a black and blueberry simple syrup and created Scherzer's bunt with it. So, you know, we really tried to make people realize, you know, we're more than just a neighborhood sports bar. I'm a season ticket holder. My dad's been a season ticket holder since day one. I'm a Washingtonian. You know, I bleed burgundy and gold and DC United. I mean, if the Mystics are out there, I'm with them too. So, you know, we wanted to kind of let people know, listen, we're not just a corporate chain restaurant coming down here. We actually do care in the heart and the wallet on how good the team is. And so, you know, we would kind of, as the summer was progressing and the team was getting better and, and it was looking like, man, we might get a playoff run. The financial impact for that, for a brand new business going into the winter where, you know, Navy Yard kind of gets a little dark was just an amazing opportunity for us. And I'm taking my son to the playoff games, you know, trying to be the dad and the fan, yet turning around and running back over to the restaurant in the eighth inning because I know we're just no one's prepared for that sort of business. And it was just, yeah, a wild run up to you know, the World Series, you know, two week period. So, you know, I was at all of the games home and away on the road, especially, you know, game seven of the World Series, like you would see on the broadcast little clips, they would cut back to things going on around the Navy Yard or inside the ballpark. But I'm curious, like you're not actually at the game, but when you have so many people gathered watching such a big event like that, it's got to probably almost feel like you are at a game, right? The energy is something I can't imagine trying to replicate. I tell people I didn't even get to watch the final game for almost two weeks. I obviously knew what happened, but I was so busy just trying to keep the restaurant afloat that I didn't even get a chance to slow down and watch and enjoy any of the games. You know, when you build a restaurant, you build it for a certain capacity of business. Walters did more in business than Juan Soto was paid in 2019. (laughs) So, and that was, you know, I went back and changed our business plan and included that just to be funny, but you know, we did probably four times the business that month than we were, would have ever thought we did. So stuff like ice and toilet paper that just kind of you don't think about, you can't get it because you can't physically get to the stadium. So we were humping ice from a quarter mile away all night long, you know, stacking 200, 300 kegs and trying to find a place to cool them down so that you're not serving hot beer during the game. All those things that you got to do. I'm, I'm there at six o'clock in the morning just to try to get ready for something that we were really just, you know, never going to be prepared for our first six months of business, but, you know, try to do the best we could. So it's interesting for me because I actually did a radio show from Walters the morning of game three of the 2019 World Series. And that energy that you just spoke about is so true. So this was, you know, on the morning of the game and, you know, driving into DC, walking around DC and then being at Walters. And this is hours before first pitch. You really felt it like it was palpable. I know it's kind of like a cliche thing to say, but it was there. That was a real thing. And it was so unique and it was so different. It was not like anything I know I'd ever experienced. You're working so hard, right? This is a startup in 2019, as you said. 
are you able now to look back on it and enjoy it a little bit more? I would imagine maybe in the moment you couldn't enjoy it so much, but looking back on it, I mean, that's a pretty magical time, obviously for the team, but I would think for Walters as an entity. Well, Al, I can sum it up this way. Five months later, the world shut down and 25 to 30% of restaurants closed. We didn't because of the cash that we had making it through that World Series and, and having that just that swan moment. It gave us the ability to you know, immediately build outdoor space when the pandemic hit. We were super beneficial to have that flexibility that a lot of restaurants didn't. I mean, 100% Walters would not still be here today if we didn't have that financial bump from the World Series to get us through, you know, arguably the most difficult restaurant time, you know, in our country's history. Yeah. And I can tell you from having been there uh, for lunch not that long ago that even as the team has maybe struggled this year, it's still hopping around there. It has really become the whole area obviously has become such an integral new part of the city, but particularly your place, given the location, given the reputation you've already established, that I would imagine that as much as you wish they had gone on another postseason run this year, that the goodwill maybe you created in 19 is still holding true today. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, it takes a while for people to know who you are and what you're about. And, you know, that's a pretty transient part of town so far. And obviously a lot of people coming into the Nats game, you know, are coming from the suburbs, so they don't live there. But, you know, we've really found that we've been a place that, you know, season ticket holding fans feel like this is a place that, you know, we're going to tweet about the game, the good, the bad, the ugly. We're going to have fun with it. And, you know, the the Nats community as a whole is, has been super adoptive towards us and picked us up and, you know, made us a, a good part of the community. And it's been amazing. Uh, absolutely. Can't wait till the first part of next year when you know, hope springs eternal and uh, and, we, and we think we got a shot at the playoffs again and, and get that positive energy flowing. And it's been great listening to you guys kind of span the year from, you know, having playoff aspirations when the when the pod first started to, well, who's this guy? And it's been real fun to be a part of that and and to be a sponsor of the pod and, and, and you know, hope to be able to continue this next year. Well, it's been great having you on board. And I mean this, I'm not just saying this. You have a great spot, man. It's really well thought out, really well laid out. Obviously, you can watch sports, you know, beyond just Nationals games at Walters. And uh, you've done an excellent job. So we wish you nothing but the best and uh, continued success. Thanks, guys. Have a great rest of the year. The Nationals down to nothing. Six unanswered runs. They beat the Astros six to two. They are the world champions of baseball. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.